Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. On Headstrong, we are very pleased and proud to be partnered with the CBD brand, The Good Level. Now, I've been taking CBD for about 18 months to maintain my mental well-being, but it's been very difficult to find a brand that I can trust because there's so many faceless foreign brands out there and you're not sure what you're buying or how it's sourced. Luckily, I found two guys, Joe and Johnny, who have created this wonderful brand called The Good Level. What's so great about these guys is that they support British farming. Many brands import their CBD from America, But the good levels say they don't rely on the methods by farmers that they've never met, nor the farms that they've never seen. They have a really close relationship with their farmers, who are in Somerset, meaning they know how their product is produced from start to finish. They're the first CBD company I've found who put a face on the brand, and they're transparent with the whole process of how they create their products. And they've even got their own podcast, where they look at the latest research on CBD. To check them out, go to their Instagram at the.good.level and drop them a message if you want to find out more about CBD. And for 15% off their products, use Headstrong15 on their website for checkout. And welcome to Headstrong. My name is Louis Strong and I host this podcast. If this is the first time you are tuning in, Headstrong is a podcast where I sit down with a number of wonderful people in the public eye to talk to them about their lives and their careers. But notably, we discuss their highs and lows and their vulnerabilities to learn and understand what the word Headstrong means to them. And to me, that means to believe in yourself, to talk about your vulnerabilities and reinforce your self-worth. Now, on today's episode, I was joined by the wonderful actor, Eliza Butterworth. 
we chatted about how Eliza got into acting from a very, very young age, how she got into drama school, and some wonderful advice that she gives to any budding actors out there, as well as using a platform now to express herself. And we talked about her credits, including The Last Kingdom and Northwater. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. And if you are a young actor, I think you'll find this episode very, very useful indeed. Eliza, thank you so much for joining me on Headstrong. How are you? I'm so well, thank you, Louis. Thank you so much for having me. This is very exciting. Oh, thank you so much. (laughs) Well, look, before we kind of have a chat about you and all things Last Kingdom and your wonderful career to date... There's something that I have started for this series. Uh, One of my first guests on this series launched an initiative in the first lockdown called Check In With You. So I'm now doing that with all my guests and I want to check in with you and see how you are doing and how you're feeling today. So much, Lily. That's a a lovely question. Um, I am feeling so good and so super grateful, actually, uh, of where I am today in terms of just that everything's been going on with the world. I sort of, you know, look, look at kind of where I am and I just feel really, really grateful to, to be doing a job and to, to have my wonderful family and friends. So, yeah, I've been, I've been doing super, super well. And how about yourself? That's you very think? kind. I, I am very pleased you asked me. I am. I'm doing very well. I am a little bit hot and flustered. Yeah. <laughs> if I was going to say anything this very second. But other than that, I am very, very well. It's a Friday, weekend's coming. I've got podcast galore today and we're happy days. So oh, thank so you. Fabulous. Fabulous. Yeah. Well, as you said there, you are uh, very blessed to be working at the moment and you are shooting The Last Kingdom right now and you are based out in Budapest. How's it going? Oh my goodness. It's so fantastic. Um, it's, it's just such an amazing saga and this is just a, such a phenomenal show and to be able to film in Budapest with, with the whole entire cast, we're sort of living out here together because obviously due to the pandemic, um, we've been quarantining. So in so many ways, it's been, you know, already an incredible experience to do the show on other seasons, but this is just an, an extra awesome version because we're living together and we're really getting to know each other on a wavelength that we never have before. And it's just, it's just so fantastic. And uh, yeah, I just feel really lucky to be actually doing work during this really difficult times and, you know, really difficult time for people in the creative industry where, you know, especially like theatres have, have unfortunately not been open for all this time. And, it definitely, I have to kind of pinch myself and, you know, it really is amazing to be doing something creative in this time. That's yeah, you hit the, hit the nail on the head for sure. How, how long have you been there and how long are you going to be out there for? So um, we've been here for about six and a half months already um, and we'll be here for another month, month and a half or so. So it'll be eight months altogether, which is awesome. I've never been in any country apart from England for this amount of time, for this long. It's been wow. really incredible to to get to know the city of Budapest really well um and just just to all to be together really and we're all helping each other creatively as well because as actors you know you get like auditions and you know you're you're maybe um exploring other creative fields and everyone's helping each other with those things it's been a really amazing household and family of uh, creative minds that have come together yeah um, I think that's really interesting as well, because as you say, you are so lucky to be working through this pandemic and, you know, based out there and being in this kind of almost a unique family and you're thrown into the deep end and you're just living out there. What, what is, what is the, what's the kind of feelings like amongst everybody? Does it, because obviously you probably can't really interact with anyone else other than cast and crew and people involved in the show. Does it feel like almost surreal? 
definitely, Lou, it's definitely very, very surreal. And in some ways, we all just remind ourselves how lucky we are that we are genuinely a cast who absolutely adores each other. Because I think, you know, you sometimes hear horror stories of people working with others and not really getting along. And it's like, oh, there's divas here and there. But this show is so, <laughs> you know, you hear these people like, oh, my God, I would never work with so-and-so. Um, but honestly, this show is is like the most unique show everybody's genuinely so lovely and just adores each other it's such a family there's so much support um everyone's hilarious as well so it's just such a, a kind and lovely environment to be in and it is really rare and really unique so in that sense I just feel like I really landed on my feet and as hard as it is being out here obviously and I really really miss my family and all my friends back at home I'm lucky that I'm with a set of people who are just so awesome and we're all going through the same thing everybody's helping each other out uh, so in that sense, it, it's made it so much easier to to just enjoy this time and really, you know, put, put our all into the work, but at the same time, have a lot of fun and look after each other. So that's been great. Just because you have been away for such a long period of time, almost, as you say, when by the time you come back, it will be eight months. What is What are the small things that you do miss then from home? Obviously, you're going to miss your family and friends immensely. But what, like, what does it actually feel like to you? Because you're the one experiencing it. We can only imagine those emotions. But what's it like for you? And what else do you miss? Is there any like home comforts you're missing? Definitely. I mean, because I live in London back in England and I really love London in the spring and summertime. So at the moment, this would be when I would be going out to the park with all my friends and just, you know, hanging out and being really sweet. So I sort of miss that aspect of it. Um, and I just guess being able to be really close to my good friends that I've grown up with, just being able to go around and see them. And obviously because of the pandemic, that's not, you know, even a thing that's happening too much these days anyway. Um, but I guess just the sense of being close to them and, you know, getting to, to know about their lives as well. Um, because I have a lot of friends who are not actors and I am obsessed with their lives. They they laugh at me because I've got a couple of friends who are like doctors or researchers and I'm like, oh my God, your job is so cool. And they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, it's amazing. Like, I'm really just like obsessed with everything that they do. So I love just talking about things other than acting and getting to like delve into their lives. And um, and in terms of home comforts, oh, just, you know, missing my parents and and my dog. Um, we, we live up in Lincolnshire usually. So that's where where they, they are based. And so like, yeah, just being with them. My mother's Italian cooking, really miss that. That's always a gorgeous go-to. Um, and, and yeah, just, just being close to my friends is, is something that I really miss. And But it is wonderful being in Budapest because... It is, as you say, so surreal because it is a foreign country. So as much as, you know, we're all together as a tight-knit community as of actors, when we go out and about in the city, you know, it's like, oh, we're in Hungary. So mm-hmm. we're speaking Hungarian and we've got beautiful Hungarian cuisine. And and the, the, the look of the city is just so beautiful. Like Budapest is just one of the most fabulous places. Have you ever been to Budapest? Really? I have not been to Budapest, but it is definitely on the bucket list when I'm allowed to go. I think you're going to love it because it's just such an amazing mix of architecture as well. Really, really old school, really rustic. Um, and and the River Danube is just beautiful. So like everything about it is just like really idyllic and we can go for like lovely walks and it's it's awesome. But yeah, in terms of home, just my family, my friends and just being close to them all would be. <laughs> On that note though, I, I have auditioned for The Last Kingdom like three times and I keep badgering my agent. Yeah, I know. And now it's ending. I'm like, oh, what a total fiasco. I cannot believe you're only just telling me this now. Oh my goodness. Well, I might have to call up a couple of producers and ask about that. Uh, <laughs> still a month and a half left. I'm, uh, June's looking pretty vac- uh, vacant. We're good. 
Yeah, hello. And Louis, you have the most gorgeous long hair. You'd be like a stunning person. Hey, do you know You'd what? Really it's my, my headshot at the moment is, uh, this is completely going off the subject of what we're here for. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> my headshot at the moment is like me with short hair and I literally look about 17. And then with long hair, wow. I'm just like a different, I am a different person, but that this is maybe lockdown, lockdown locks as people yeah, are calling yeah. it. So it is lockdown what it is. Locks. I love that. <laughs> yeah, but um, you've been a part of this family now for a long time. And obviously that is going to help with this unique experience that you're going through right now. But I may well have some listeners right now who are listening to you and going, I haven't seen The Last Kingdom yet. I don't know where they've been living under a rock and not got a Netflix <laughs> subscription or their friend's one's been cancelled. Um, if we're stuck in an elevator... And yeah. you ha- we have a minute until we get to the 35th floor. How are you going to pitch this show to me? I need to come out of this and I need to watch, go, do you know what? Yeah, I'm going to listen to Eliza. I'm going to go watch it. How would you sell the show to me? Okay, I would say that The Last Kingdom is a thrilling and epic adventure that follows um, Uchid of Bebenber, who's our protagonist, and his um, destiny to um, d- defeat... Uh, not defeat to to help. Um, so I'm, I'm already ruining it, Louis. I've already ruined it. So we're already a minute down. I'm like, uh, uh, uh. Um, his legacy. Let me start that again. Um, to help um, King Alfred the Great um, create a united land called England, um, and it's really historical, but it's epic. It's full of um, love. It's full of battles. It's it's so captivating. It's full of um, ambition. It's about kings and Danes and Vikings, um, and it's just really, really, really um, thrilling and awesome and um it's a very character driven show it's very character led it's very heart driven um i feel like the the audience really falls in love with with the characters and all of their phenomenal storylines um and it's just a really beautiful and gritty show to watch it really really is very captivating in that sense it's so aesthetically um stunning um but at the same time really really raw and you, you should be in it, really. Louis. I'm in. Oh, well, so I'm in. I'm in. I'm, 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 you should be in it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one can dream. Um, yeah. Now, you, as you said there, though, we talk about it being very character driven, and you yourself play a very forceful, confident, I, I, I don't know, very kind of watchable character because they're so kind of, I don't know, I'm, you're drawn to them. Um, and you've also have a unique kind of character arc through the seasons and you've been allowed to explore that. How has it been developing a character over years, um, you know, over five seasons? How's that been and what's that experience like? Thank you, Louis. Um, I mean, it's been an amazing experience and I, I really kind of owe my um, screen acting training to The Last Kingdom because when I left drama school, it was one of my first big jobs and I didn't know where it would take me. I didn't know how long I would be in it for. But the beginning of the journey was the character of Lady Elswith being really, really pious, really severe, um, almost kind of a villainous character in a sense. I sort of filled the role of being um, King Alfred's confidant and you know his wife, but also somebody who is really... Um, uh, untrustworthy of uh, she's, she she does, doesn't trust people that aren't following her um, sort of vision with with Alfred and also her her very strong piety when it comes to God she's she's extremely religious and anyone who doesn't follow that path is somebody that she doesn't think her husband should listen to so that was Uchard of Bebenbur for a very long time she really didn't trust him she saw him as a pagan or a heathen because uh, she he didn't believe in her Christian ways um so going from this really 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 like super um 
uh, strict um, and prudish person to now, you know, going on and evolving throughout the years and becoming actually quite um, an empathetic character now. Somebody mm. who has luckily been able to see the error of her ways. And uh, season four in particular, I think for Ellsworth was like a season of redemption where she realized that um, a lot of her uh you know behaviors actually were far too severe and that she kind of landed her and her family in slightly more dangerous situations even though her entire um drive is to protect her family she's so loyal to her husband so loyal to her children and in her head what god would have wanted would always be the right way but unfortunately it meant that she wouldn't listen to other people you know um so as as pure as her intentions were it, it often you know sometimes led into in, to some really dangerous situations. So it's been really nice to now come into season five with all of that in mind and really build up a new kind of layered character. Yes, still with all of the, the kind of wonderful um, bitterness and severity that she has. She's quite comical in a sense because she she has this like very, very witty sense of humor and, and, and likes to kind of put people down, but it's it, you expect it of her. But now at the same time, it's sort of layered with this really soft, person who can try and empathize and put herself in other people's shoes and I think that's a really interesting dynamic for me to play and especially going off of the first season where you know it was definitely a multi-dimensional character but compared to now oh my mm. goodness really has just taken such a phenomenal arc and um it's been so fun as an actor to to have that journey and to be given that much um work for one character because I've been on the show for five seasons which has been seven years of, of my life so to be able to think about the character for seven whole years is incredible and for an actor you know we, we often do jobs that could be three weeks of, of filming or you know some really fleeting jobs where you get your teeth into a character but then all of a sudden you finished it and, that, and that's the character done for three weeks or something but for seven years being able to evolve this character just as much as I as a person have been evolving I get to apply all the stuff that I've learned about myself to this character and it's awesome because she's a mother and a grandmother and me being the age of 27 I obviously haven't gone through those things myself um so it's been really awesome having to um like almost gain those aspects of her through through pe other people in my life other amazing women who I look up to and think oh okay I I've never gone through this particular experience but you have and what, what are the things that have helped you um you know survive this experience or what are the daily things that kind of you know make you who you are and I kind of take from that and, and layer that onto Ellsworth so that's been awesome and having seven years to do that is fantastic and you've got so much as you say to get your teeth into I mean and especially over the years you're just allowed to just I imagine explore and experiment as well to an extent. How much creative control have you been allowed to kind of take on? Because obviously screen jobs, there's a lot more money in it and a lot of pressure riding on the series being a success. So sometimes there's a specific way that people want you to, to, to act. But what's your creative control been like? That is such a good question, Louis. Thank you. Um, I think amazingly because the um whole premise and um idea of the last kingdom is based on a series of books called the saxon stories by bernard mm -hmm. cornwell who's a phenomenal writer um 
they, they, we've obviously adapted those phenomenal um, books into um, a television series. So in some ways, that as the sort of initial premise of the story has has changed so much for all of the characters. But for mine in particular, um, it, within the books and within history as well, not a lot was known about Lady Ellsworth. Um, she was obviously um, very fierce and very intelligent and was the wife of King Alfred the Great. So it was a very important figure in Saxon history. Um, but in lots of ways, it gave me such creative license because there wasn't too much information about her. Therefore, I could kind of mould her um, through my own perception of what she could have been like. And so taking that ferocity and taking that intelligence and the vigour and, um, and her drive and ambition and her loyalty, I could build up my own version of what I think could be the sort of best way to play her. So in a sense, I had such creative control like so much of it um and it was lovely to dip into the books and get you know some ideas and some um sort of inspiration but then it just completely took its own sort of form over the years and what's really lovely is I think the script writers of our show are absolutely incredible and they've been able to adapt and evolve Lady Elswith throughout the years just as much as I have and I feel like it's a it's a sort of two-way partnership they watch the work that I do in the season and then when it comes to the next season they go oh this was really interesting seeing her warmth or how Eliza brought you know a bit of humor to it or whatever the sort of new strand might be they they watch that and then they honor it through the next version of scripts so I find that so fascinating that that becomes a, a process between the two parties in a way. Um, and so the more I do of, of a certain, um, you know, form of acting or whatever I decide to sort of bring into the character, the more they then write that kind of content for me for the next season. So I love that. And I, I always get so excited to see what they've got in store next. And this next season has all kinds of things that I think the audience are going to be so shocked to see. It honestly goes on the most bonkers tale for me, especially. And I absolutely love it. You will not believe the stuff that I get up to. Oh <laughs> my. Yeah. <laughs> How exciting. So exciting. Oh, it's so important though, as you say, to have that relationship and balance to kind of work off each other. And then you have this kind of equilibrium of people bringing kind of stuff to the table. Because if it's what if it's one way, I mean, that's just, it's just not the relationship that you're going to want. And you're not going to get the best out of the character, the role and the show in general. Exactly. Um, now, as you said there, seven years, five seasons, but over those seven years, you know, as you say, you're out there for eight months now, but there are times when you come back and you're taking breaks from seasons and whatnot, and you're probably shooting other things. Exciting, exciting. <laughs> but um, when you do take a role, uh, sorry, a break from the role, do yeah. you find it difficult to get back in the mindset and the headspace of the show and indeed the character? I, I, I do see, yes, sometimes I do. But I think what is really awesome about this particular show is because it's set in in you know um the saxon era of england we really have to almost like teleport ourselves back in um, time in a way when i get onto the set and then i have the costume on and all of a sudden i look so different and obviously i act so different from myself and i really feel like i delve so deeply then into the world of the saxon era through the costume and um and the set that in a sense it just transforms me and teleports me there instantly so in a way it's, it actually isn't too much work to jump in and out of it and I will say I know this sounds really strange but and, and you as well Louis being an actor like I think if you can play roles that are almost so different from yourself there's such mm. a leap 
there's such a jump that in a sense I find that easier because I can see where I'm going like it's, it's such a big stretch that I I know when I'm pl- this other person or playing this other person because it's so starkly different from me that I can just feel it it's, it's whereas I actually find it harder playing people that are maybe similar to my age or similar to my disposition I find really scary because I'm thinking oh my gosh have I done it am I acting or am I just being me I don't know what I'm doing is this right <laughs> like when I'm playing her it's she's so different that I'm like oh I'm you know this is absolutely me feeling like I'm back in the world of this show because I, I know for, for sure I, I don't act like this or I don't look like this um, and as I said the set as well is so beautiful so detailed that you know when, whenever my family or friends have visited the set they are like wow you really do just feel like you've transported back in history and that in a sense does I think all of the the work in a way for me when I step onto it so having those breaks and having that time away is really refreshing and uh, sort of revitalizes you and then when you get back onto the set you're like oh wow okay here we are we're back in the world awesome so it's actually yeah. not difficult and it's really fun to to go back and forth and and to see the world of it again and jump right in exactly it's uh, it's one of those things the glory of tv is that you are literally making another world and they have the budgets and the capacity and the skill sets to do so and so i can imagine i'll only imagine that when you do just arrive there you're like you're immersed into this experience and you're back in it and you're lucky enough to be doing it as a job. That's pretty cool. Yes. Oh, I almost have to pinch myself every day. Oh, exactly. I'm like, you know what? We say this to each other on set. We're there in our like gorgeous Saxon garb. There are Vikings everywhere. There's like horses and pigs and there's like fabulous castles. And we're all looking at each other going, this is our job. We get to do this for a living. It's like, what? It's, it's just such an amazing uh, feeling. And uh, yeah, we're just insanely lucky. So it's been so much fun. Well, I need to ask you then the important questions. If we're wrapping season five, say the end of June. When are we going to be able to have this graced on our screens? Ooh, I'm also, we are hoping, and I believe potentially at the beginning of 2022 or um, you know the winter of 2021, it usually takes about six months from the wrap date to kind of um, create the entire show. So it will be either towards the end of the year or beginning of, of next year. So that's super, super exciting. Fantastic stuff. How very exciting. Now... We're going to leave the last kingdom behind, and I want to talk more about you now, if we can. Because um, I want to talk about you and your your childhood and where acting fitted in. Because your dad was a pilot and your yeah. mother was a nurse, I yes. believe. Now I'm curious as to know where your influence and adoration for drama came from. Because was there another family member that kind of gave you this love and passion for it? Well, I will say so. Although my parents didn't do acting related jobs, I would say. I absolutely think my biggest acting inspiration is my mother. So my mother is from America. She's from Iowa in the Midwest. And um, she is such a a fabulous person. She is so larger than life. And she talks like this and everything is like, oh my God, wow. And she tells fabulous stories. And when I was growing up, she would tell these unbelievable stories. And I remember just being like fascinated by her growing up. And she was just such a... Uh, a captivating presence that I was like, whoa. Um, And I'm an only child as well. So I had a big imagination because I'd be playing a lot by myself and watching my parents. Um, So I'd say my mother would be like my number one sort of um, reason for getting into acting just because she herself is such a phenomenal character. Um, And my father as well is is just wonderful. He plays like the piano and um, he loves singing karaoke. And on my dad's side of the family, they're all just so gorgeous and they're from the north of England. Um, And we've got like a couple of singers in the family, you know, people who just really, really love acting and singing 
And so, so although nobody else has really kind of done it as a career, although my cousin, Rachel, who lives in Canada, she's, she's um, a phenomenal singer and she's, she does all kinds of wonderful things um, and acting as well. Um, but apart from that, I, I think it was just watching really exciting people in my family and go, whoa, okay, this is kind of cool. And I think being half American as well led me to have really a really good ear for accents because I grew up in Lincoln in Lincolnshire, the United Kingdom. And like, you know, having your mom talk to you like that, you know, all day, whereas all the other kids, you know, had like English mothers. I remember just being like, whoa, okay. It kind of pricked my ears up to, to other things. So that was definitely an inspiration. How's, how's your Lincolnshire accent? It's, oh gosh, I'm about to do like the most Northern accent ever. <laughs> it's not that Northern at all. Um, it's funny, Lincoln is a really weird one because some people sound like really sort of Northern, like, hey, up duck, you know, very yeah. nice. Um, but then there, it, it's, it's also not too Northern, so you get this sort of more neutral ground. But my dad, he's naturally from uh, Manchester, so he does have like more of a sort of twang going on. I mean, it's not that strong at all, really. Um, but he, he <laughs> his family, his family definitely have gorgeous like Mancunian accents, and it's amazing. So yeah, there's been a whole household of random accents pushed together, and it's so much fun. We're, we're, I'm in a live masterclass right now of accents, oh, <laughs> loving it. Um, now I want to talk to you about school then as well. What was the infrastructure like at from a school level for you when you were getting into drama? Absolutely. So for in my school, we had the most incredible drama department, um, which I sort of joined when I was a bit younger. When I was maybe about 12 or 13, when I was really, really confident enough to, to sort of feel like I could do drama or that I knew what I was doing, because I was actually such a shy child, Louis, which I bet you couldn't really believe, but I was so shy. <laughs> In fact, when I was maybe more like nine or 10, my mother would sign me up for these like summer theatre programmes at our local theatre and I would kick and scream. I would be like, I can't do it, I can't do it. I would absolutely hate it. And then as soon as I got sent there and she'd be like, you know, we just wanted you to kind of come out of your shell and I was so shy and she was like, this will be fun. You can integrate with more children. Because also being an only child throughout the summer, it was really good for me to be with other kids. And I remember going bonkers. And then as soon as I'd completed the course, I was like, oh, and I absolutely, loved it so it was I, I was much older when I kind of realized I wanted to kind of get into acting so it's maybe like 12 or 13 then I joined the sort of drama um sort of departments um productions that they were having and they did the most unbelievable productions um, and my school is called Lincoln Minster School and they were just fantastic um and so that's where I really sort of learned how to how to act I guess and, and really kind of like threw myself into it and a lot of the, the kids in my year were phenomenal actors and really fantastic musicians as well so we were a really really lucky creative group that I think without them I don't think I would have felt like I could be an actor I wouldn't have felt as passionate about it so I really feel like that particular group of people in that time was so influential to me uh, for becoming an actor and they were so supportive um, I remember for a long time, I wanted to be a dentist when I was younger. So age sort of 15, 16, I thought, okay, I'm going to be a dentist. I'll go into dentistry. And I remember our phenomenal uh, drama teacher, Mrs. Wafer, took us to see um, the little shop of horrors in like at, like a Leeds theatre or something. We all went and all my friends were there. And there was a scary scene where the dentist comes in and obviously he's like horrible. And all my friends like looked down the aisle at me and went, really, that's what you want to be, a dentist? I was like, oh, <laughs> it was just such a cute moment where they all like, really? Uh, <laughs> I was like, oh man, okay, maybe not, maybe not. <laughs> then, then when I was like sort of 15, 16, I was like, okay, I 
actually really would like to to try out this kind of um, drama school thing. And I had a phenomenal, phenomenal teacher and amazing friend called uh, Trudy Chapel, who really, really helped me get into drama school and, and do all those wonderful things. So yeah, that that particular bunch of people in that time were utterly um, phenomenal and and really did just get me where I am today. So I can only just thank them for that. Of course, definitely. I just want to just talk about what you you mentioned there about just feeling a little bit more of a, an introvert than an extrovert when you were when you were a little bit younger, and just have a chat about that. Do you think that was because you were kind of an only child, and but as when you were growing up as well, did you kind of because a lot of actors that I do speak to, they say that you know they're using the stage as a platform for expression, and yeah. I imagine that you maybe felt this as well, kind of an opportunity to explore your. Um, imagination as you said and the opportunity to dive into characters and and productions louis that is exactly it that is exactly it it's it's a, a really an amazing way of looking at acting because i think a lot of people look at actors and think they're show-offs or they're you know they're like look at me look at me but a lot of the time it is because they're actually or used to be cripplingly shy and that as you say the stage was the only way of sort of expressing those thoughts and feelings and emotions and being able to unleash different facets of themselves in order to to feel confident or to just just see what what are these other things that are bubbling inside of me that I don't feel naturally capable of doing in the real world when I'm just being myself but as soon as I'm given the platform of a stage it's like you're granted permission to sort of uh, you know let out these other sides of you and and to start figuring out what they are and I remember reading an amazing article um uh somebody was interviewing Andrew Scott who's one of my absolute absolute favorite actors and he said something um down that line as well about um shyness and this just you know ability to uh be able to then perform is is something that yeah takes you out of yourself because you're so so kind of anxious or scared especially when you're younger of of being those other parts of yourself and Mark Rylance as well. Um, he always talks ab- about that and, and the fact that he was super, super shy. And again, it's just this idea of, um, yeah, unleashing these other identities that you have and, and feeling confident enough to even speak because Mark Rylance in particular, um, I, th- I believe, and I maybe I'm wrong about this. I think he said he sort of grew up with a bit of a stutter or he, he, he found sort of, um, speaking quite difficult sort of public speaking and then getting into sort of Shakespeare um, and acting on stage was the thing that like really just transformed him and and took him away from that anxious minds mindset of, of you know speaking out loud to now being one of the best performers of all time he's utterly phenomenal and um, I think my other favorite actors like Ben Wishaw again somebody who is naturally quite a shy person um and then you sort of see them on stage and you're like, wow, and they're just so captivating. And in a way, I think those kind of actors have so much empathy and sensitivity because of the way that they are. And they're not doing it to show off. They are doing it to tell a story. They are doing it to draw an audience in. They are doing it to sort of yeah, reveal those really lovely, vulnerable parts of themselves. And I feel like that's what's so like thrilling to watch then as an audience, because you're like, oh, wow, you're letting me in. You're letting me into something rather than sort of, you know, throwing it in my face and sort of, you know, as I said, showing off. It's more that like, oh, you're revealing an inner part of yourself. As kind of cheesy as that sounds, you know, I'm dripping in Gorgonzola here. So <laughs> but like there is just like something about that, like sensitivity that you see. And yeah, I find a lot of shy people can be some, you know, just some of the best performers I've ever seen. And so for me, I was very shy as a, 
a, a sort of a child and then a teenager. And then it's when I got into acting, I definitely became a lot more confident. I definitely then, you know, getting to drama school, I was such a different person. So I wouldn't say I kept my shyness. I think some actors then still remain quite introverted. I definitely sort of felt like I came out of myself and um, became then naturally a bit more extroverted. So yeah, for sure. Physical and mental well-being are so important and come hand in hand. I'm incredibly proud to be sponsored by the CBD brand, The Good Level, who have well-being at the very forefront of what they do as a company and a brand. They offer CBD oils, balms and jellies, all of which are full spectrum and extracted by a cold press. Their oils are all made with extra virgin olive oil from Kalamata, and that makes them so much tastier than any other that I've tried before. Their balms have a fantastic smell as well, and are great to use on your skin or any pain you're experiencing. And of course, their jellies taste so great for any sweet tooths. They also have a commitment to sustainability, pledging to plant at least 500 trees every year, along with ensuring all their packaging is recyclable. So if you want to check The Good Level out, go to their Instagram page at the.good.level where you can find out all about their products. And if you'd like a discount, feel free to use Headstrong15 at checkout on their website. I mean, I, I, I have said it before on the podcast as well, but I literally couldn't agree more from a personal perspective as well, being allowed to use drama and acting at school as kind of like a safe haven and a safe bubble for exploration and expression I mean it was so important in our group of friends and actually we're all so in tune with our mental health now in the sense that we just we are comfortable talking about it everyone is happy to be insecure but in our own bubble and know that nothing is wrong and everything is safe to say to each other in that kind of safe space which allowed for you know, there's not, you always say there's, you can never say no in, in a theatre space. Whatever you do is right. You go, yes, and what next? How can yeah. we build on that? And that's what's a really nice environment about it and can kind of help shape, shape people and bring out that confidence in you, I guess. I completely agree, Louis. I completely agree. And that, I think we're really lucky in that, that um, the way that we work then in that sense that we're allowed to be in a field where, as you say, it's all about accepting who you are and then building on it rather than denying who you are and having negativity about it. It's actually about going, oh, what are you all about? Brilliant. Let's embrace that, use it and, and go even further and go beyond. Um, and I don't know about you, Louis, as well, but especially playing like, I think just going quickly back to like The Last Kingdom, for instance, like playing mm. a transformational kind of character, which is so different for myself. That is such an element that goes hand in hand with the sense of like being something that I'm not for, for a while. And I almost feel really comfortable in that space to just accept myself but as like a completely different facet of myself. And and speaking of like, you know, like a character like Lady Elswith is really assertive, really strong, really ferocious. I naturally, as Eliza, couldn't feel less like that if I tried. So in a weird way, it's like the only part of me that can then apply those traits and be like, oh, I can be assertive for a while. I can be ferocious or whatever it is. And be like, oh, I, I am capable of being like that, but obviously as a different form of myself, which is really... Yeah, weird. it's really interesting. What The way that you talked about it as well there, where you kind of, you struggle to play the characters that are similar to you, but thrive in the ones that are unlike you like from a personal perspective it's like I've always struggled to get out of my typecast because it's so easy to hear my accent and see how I look and go well that's easy for you to do that and obviously it's easy to play up to that but you're also like 
I, you know, there's blurred lines of where I am and where this character is because they're so similar. And I did, um, in a similar way, I suppose, to, to The Last Kingdom, I did like a period piece called Glow and Darkness. Yeah. And well, let's hope it comes out at some point. I did production still halted, but yeah, I did that. And it's just like, you can just detach yourself from real life, the real world. And as you say, you just immerse yourself into this new experience. And again, as an actor as well, you know, my, my character, his dad and his brother had been killed on the battlefield. And you're like, you can't comprehend that this actually happened back then. You have to literally believe that that happened. And that's just monumental to get your thought process around the reality of what these people experienced in such a tragic kind of demise. That is such a good point. That is actually really awesome um, point because in The Last Kingdom as well, not to go back to that too much, but the, this, <laughs> it was such a different life. And like mm. everything we have in this modern world is is just the way we know life to be. We don't know anything other than that. But these people, you know, every day, especially in The Last Kingdom, it's there's so many you know, crazy battles and just like threats on people's lives. And that was just the way they lived. It was a very high stakes, high danger, um, you know, life that they lived. And this idea that, you know, at any point the Danes could come in and raid a village or, you know, um, a king could declare battle or whatever it could be. It's like, oh my gosh, these people lived in that sort of mindset day in and day out. And that that's another exactly a really important um sort of part to get your head around and go oh yeah these people don't just have this kind of living the way we do they really really you know have this unbelievable surroundings these unbelievable circumstances um that you have to put yourself into but yet make that normal because Mm. you know us as like louis and eliza like oh my gosh the danes are coming to raid the village with them they're like okay that's normal the danes are coming again okay let's just get ourselves sorted so yeah it's a really awesome thing to to catapult yourself into history i love period dramas so oh, i mean my biggest problem this morning was going to the bakery and hoping that they had a cinnamon <laughs> swirl still available amazing that is amazing i feel your pain i feel it i mean what 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 a, like a stark difference to the reality that that world was i mean the constant fear of a threat coming to invade yeah. your village oh, my God. oh gosh but yes um let's look at your 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 acting then and getting into it from school because at some point it obviously went from a passion and an, an a place for experimental exploration to mm-hmm. a drive for a career which yeah. led to you applying and i suppose being pushed to applying for drama school so that probably happened uh, um, at school from kind of your teachers or your parents. Who was Where was that driving force coming from? Yes, exactly, Louis. It mainly came from, um, so my drama teacher, Mrs. Wafer, and also um, my head of sixth form at the time, Trudy Chapel, who both of them were just absolutely incredible and um, really pushed me to have a look at drama schools. And because I didn't come from an acting family, I knew nothing about these, you know, big London drama schools. So you know, I was doing my research, but I was absolutely petrified. Um, and I thought, oh gosh, I don't know anything. I don't know what I'm doing. And, you know, for, for these drama schools, you have to prepare a few monologues. So classical monologues and also um, modern monologues and even a song. So they also want to see you sing. Um, and I remember just thinking, I have no idea. I was like, oh, and I'd have to go to London to audition. And it was all just very, very scary, but they were f- fantastic in helping me choose pieces that really sort of um, showed different sides of myself. And what's interesting is that although I was um, 17 when I was like auditioning, I weirdly did choose characters that were much older than myself 
that again had a lot of gumption and a lot of um yeah assertion and were really strong powerhouse kind of characters and it's really interesting that they were the people that I chose to play at such a young age and that I've then gone on to play those kinds of people mainly in my career and I can think wow there's there's some like sort of essence about how I sort of see myself as an actor that I want to sort of really push myself to the limit and challenge myself and go in such a different direction Mm. and I remember choosing um a monologue from The Winter's Tale which is a Shakespearean play and you know that play it's so good so good and it's um, the speech by Paulina, who is Hermione's um, sort of uh, right-hand woman. And it's a speech where she's telling off um, uh, Leontes because he's so jealous and so envious. And he basically nearly killed his wife. And, and she's sort of completely telling him off about all of this. And it's such a fierce, fierce monologue. I remember doing that at the age of 17. And then I did a play, um, a monologue from a play called Iron by Rona Munro. And again, it was it was a mother figure, like, you know, somebody in her sort of 40s. And I remember my teachers being like, are you sure you want to choose those characters? And I was like, yeah, I just had such a, a sort of, I don't know, this sort of affiliation with them in, in my head that I wanted to play these strong, strong people. Um, and I actually think that really helped me because although I was really young, I think the drama school saw that I was capable of being something that I'm truly not and, and and able to get out these other facets of myself quite easily. And therefore, you know, it's, it's really good to stretch yourself and you can work with those different dimensions of yourself. So, so yeah, so I remember um, uh, the, the people at the school really helped me with those monologues, especially like Trudy. Um, and uh, all of my friends are so supportive. And yeah, I would go down to London, but I was also studying my A-levels at the time. So I was doing like biology and chemistry, um, Spanish, and I was doing drama. Um, and yeah, it was just bonkers. Um, and I would go down and I'd have exams and then I would be studying for them. And then I'd go down to London and then we'd have auditions. And like some of the drama schools, obviously I got rejected from. Some were saying you're too young or, um, you know, you're not, you're not quite right for the school. Um, and then I got a recall to another drama school and I thought, oh, okay. And it gave me the confidence to really think, okay, where am I going to go next? And then weirdly, um, my last auditions were for RADA. So it's almost like I had enough practice and preparation from all the other drama schools. And then my last set of auditions was RADA. And I did the first audition and I thought to myself, nah, 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 there's no way that I'm getting in here. So I kind of was quite um, like sort of lax in the audition I just I just had this sense of ease and calm because I really didn't think I was ever going to get in there um so I remember doing the first audition of course I prepared so much and I cared so much but I had this strange sense of calm which is not like me at all um and I think it really really helped me actually because I was just very carefree about it although I'd done all that the work um, and yeah, and then I got a recall. Um, and so for, for RADA in particular, there are four stages. Um, so I had my recall a few weeks later and they said, prepare some different monologues now. And um, we want to see something different. So, and it was, it was tough for me because I was obviously studying for my A-levels at the same time and sort of thinking, right, well, if I don't get into drama school, I really have to do well in these exams. So it was like I was spinning both plates, mm. but I had passion for both things equally. So as much as I wanted to make sure I learned my monologues and got everything down, I was also going, oh my gosh, I need to study for this Spanish A-level test because, you know, if I don't get into drama school, this is the thing I'm going to fall back on or whatever it could be. 
Um, so yeah, so that was um, amazing, but really challenging. And I was also head girl at the same time, so I had these other responsibilities as head girl, like in my, in so my much on your plate, Eliza. I forgot. So much on my plate. I couldn't do those things now. I I don't know how I did them. I had so much like energy as a seventeen-year-old. Um, and then yeah, so so the recall was then really really great. And again, they they would then sort of redirect you in the recall. So you do your monologues, but they go, okay, that's great. But now let's see you do it in a completely different way because they're just seeing if you're malleable enough and if you can take direction as an actor. Mm. Um, because obviously that's such an important part of being an actor is that you're in the creative process with everybody else, with the other actors, with the directors, with the producers, and they may want something very different from you. Um, and if you're capable of that, then, you know, you can work collaborative, collaboratively, gosh, that's a really hard word to say, uh, with anyone. Um, so, so that's what they sort of tested you on the second round. And then I got into the third round. And then I remember being with a lot of the other people who were, auditioning so they would put us in a room together and sort of watch how we work with other actors and I remember that being really scary because it was almost like you were there with all these lovely lovely people and people who wanted to get into the same drama school and that wonderful actors but at the same time they were your competition but they were so lovely and so it was a really odd day of just like being with these great people and then also going ah but I want to get in <laughs> and so you're having the sense of competition but also working alongside them and then finally there was the fourth round and again you were with other actors and um, would have to then perform your speeches in front of each other and I remember that was really nerve-wracking because that, that really was the sense of competition and comparison because they were there in front of you and you were seeing what they were capable of and thinking, right, well, what, what am I going to bring to the table? Um, so, yeah, so that was the audition process. And then I got in um, and it was the best day of my life. <laughs> yes, I bet it was. Now, yeah. I mean, what what a process it is. I mean, that's something that I didn't, I never did, actually. I went to uni instead. And like yeah. I, with my agent, he said, well, you, you choose what you want to do. And at the age of 18, which would have been the same as what you were going through, I think I just wasn't prepared enough. I wasn't mature enough. I didn't have enough of life experience. From a personal perspective, everyone is different. And I think that's really important. Yes. Just thinking about your audition process, though, do you think age helped you in this regard? Like almost, I, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but the kind of the naivety of it, perhaps, yes. you going in there at 17 going, oh, it's rather, this is cool, you know, yeah. whatever. And then actually, you know, there are probably 24, 25-year-olds there going, this is harder. This is my life. This is my yeah. life. You know, like. That is such a good point, Louis. I completely agree with you. Yes, I 100% think that me being that young and not really knowing too much about myself in some ways meant that it, it I could just sort of you know, push myself into the space of, of whatever I needed to be at that time. I, I wasn't really overthinking it. And also, I think when you're that young, you know, you've got your whole life ahead of you. You know, your life can go in so many avenues and directions that it was like, I de definitely did have pressure on myself, but I also knew, okay, if I don't get in, I'm so young, I can go in other directions. And I had other passions anyway. But I think that sense of like, really caring and really putting the work in but at the same time not going uh oh this is my last shot uh oh this is my last chance at this you know if, if I was sort of my age now at 27 I don't think I could have gone through that process without almost self-sabotaging almost overthinking to the point mm. where I wasn't capable of being you know I, I suppose not free but this idea of being like yeah I can be anything you want I can be malleable and and I can sort of let loose I, I don't think I'd be capable of it ever now I'd be too frightened I think that's something that comes from being at school. Like, you know, you're in this environment where you do just get on with things and you'll just do anything. I think 
as a, as you grow up and become more mature and you just have time to just think and you just then start to overthink and yeah. I think when you're at school you just say I'm just going to get on with it and do it yeah. partly because you probably don't have a choice and you're like you're doing these subjects that you know that you're never going to do ever again or whatever but doing something like that in the RAD audition specifically you know you probably knew deep down oh I could I've got the next five years to do this if it doesn't pay off ultimately as well if i don't know if that was a thought process at all or were you just kind of like an all or nothing kind of let's go for this it was kind of all or nothing because of um my parents in some ways which i don't blame them for i think because they're not from an acting world they were very much like okay if you don't get in this first time it's it's not that it's not for you they definitely you know could see that i had talent in acting and they were so proud of me they're so 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 supportive they did everything possible to help me get into drama school but they were very much like However, you know, we're not actors and we just want you to have a, a sort of good, stable career. You know, it could just be that it's not the right thing for you if you don't get in. And that's OK. And I would have gone down such a different path. Um, and I remember getting into universities that same year, but for English and drama to study at Leeds, also um, at Royal Holloway University. So if I didn't get into RADA, I would have actually gone to different universities to study English and drama. So that was always something in my mind mm-hmm. to do. The dentistry thing kind of fell to the wayside. I was like, there's no way I'm doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so when I got to that age, I was like, yeah, no. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so, so in a weird way, because I, I actually knew I only had one shot in a sense, it meant that I just sort of thought, well, we'll just see what happens. And I put my all into it, but I didn't expect that I would get in and I didn't expect too much. I just sort of thought, this is a wonderful experience. This is challenging and something I can learn about myself with. And weirdly, I feel like, as you say, that naivety and that kind of like, I don't know, I will, whatever, just kind of like almost helped me to, to get in. I had this like ease about myself, which was, which was great. I think so many people will just put so much pressure on themselves to Mm -hmm. say, if I don't get in, I'm a failure as an actor or I'm a failure. And it's just like the fact that they want to see you in the audition room as a success in itself. And I always think that that about just auditions in general, the fact that they, you know, your agent pushes you for stuff, whatever, but if they say they want to see you, that's one step closer to the job. That's a positive. You've got to look at the positives. If you don't nail it, nine times out of 10, it's because you don't look right. <laughs> well, that's the thing. And I think that's what's so interesting about our industry is it's it's as much as it's about creativity and, you know, getting to play these wonderful characters, it's also about rejection. And it's something that we all as actors have had to learn so much about. And, and kind of being at the age of 17 and getting rejected by drama schools was my first sort of like you know a uh, glimpse into that world I remember being devastated that at the of first course I, I was like what I've worked so hard and I I, I thought I did okay and I, oh my gosh what more could they want from me I, I'll do anything else you know what what do they need and then just thinking but actually it's it it's it's about not taking it that personally and it's about going as long as you've done the work and you know you were just able to put in the creative process with whatever it is for yourself. That's, that's brilliant. And as you say, most of the time, especially in the professional world of acting, it is about what you look like or um, your, your accent or um, your you know previous experience. It could be so many factors that come into play as to why you maybe didn't get that particular role. But what, what is definitely a good reminder for actors, and if there are actors obviously listening to this, is that, you know, as long as you just do a good job, even if it's a no for this particular thing, what is so lovely is if you are just, you know, kind and you're really wonderful to work with and you really put your all into that audition, that director or casting director or producer or whoever will remember you for a next thing. And they might think to themselves, OK, that person wasn't right for this, but because they made such a lovely impression 
and obviously worked so hard, will think about them for the next thing. So every single step, even if you feel that it was a rejection, is still a step forward. As you say, Louis, it's still a really helpful, connective um, strand to the industry. It's still going to, you know, propel you into a really good place. So I now see it as all, all as a good thing. And I definitely didn't used to. I have to I've had to build myself up over the years to really, you know, see, see everything as a positive. Um, but I really just feel if you put your all into the work, you can only come out of it and go, okay, I did, I did everything I could. And, and that's a really, really good thing. Before we do talk about the industry in a slightly more generalized capacity as we are now, one thing I want to talk to you about is moving away at 18 because you, yeah. you, you know, you're moving to London at 18 to go to the best drama school in the world, arguably. I mean, what was that? emotional experience like or again was there still that naivety of going into it just with an open mind such a good question louis i mean i was absolutely terrified i was so <laughs> terrified and also again i think this being an only child thing made it even scarier because i've never really lived with other people I, I didn't really you know i had so many friends growing up of course and i was definitely like the class clown like i was always being really goofy i loved being with other people all the time the sense of like going to London which was such a scary prospect you know I'd only visited London a couple of times to see theatre productions I always loved London I absolutely love it but to to know I was living there and having to like navigate the transport and you know all these kinds of things that you just don't think about you know when you live up in Lincoln or something um so that was really petrifying but I, I think yeah being that young I just threw myself into it. I had so much energy and like it was just so much fun. And, and everybody in my year at RADA was just, well, they were just incredible. And we all came from different walks of life. Um, we were all different ages, different backgrounds. And I think that's what made the experience so special is that although I, I, I was actually the youngest person in my year, there were people in the year who were like, you know, 32. And so what was interesting is I would gain so much experience and life lessons from them, but they equally gained from me because they were seeing me as a really young person coming into the you know, field of this. And what I was sort of giving as that more malleable person, as that more naive sort of um, presence. And then from them, I was looking at them as being really grounded. They know who they are. They've got it all going on. So so that aspect of moving to RADA and doing all of that was just amazing. Um, but yeah, moving to London is so scary. Um, but, but after about a year, I definitely got used to it. And I absolutely loved it. I lived up in North London in Tufnell Park. Um, and it was just, just awesome, just really, really awesome. And I actually think being in London and having all the challenges, I, I grew up so quickly in those three years being at drama school, so quickly. Mm. So I left when I was, I just about turned 20, 20 21. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I grew up so fast, which I think really helped me then play these characters that are much older than myself because, totally. you know, all of those challenges that came through living in London and, and watching much older people in my year and um, people who are really grounded helped me to then perform in that way, which is awesome. That's pretty crazy. I mean, I think you're absolutely right that it gave you a lot of life experience in a very accelerated way, hanging around these kind of different people, because ultimately Rada prepared you as an actor, but the people that you were with, it prepared you for for everything else that was to come with it, I suppose. How did Rada, though, prepare you from a classical perspective for kind of your your acting life because it is quite rooted in classical performance at rada yes. uh there it's a traditional school isn't it i yes. mean how does that how did that help you upon reflection now with your hindsight for kind of the professional industry now 
Yes. I mean, I think my favorite aspect of Rada is that it's so um, in tune with the classical training. I absolutely loved Shakespeare growing up and I would go to like the Globe Theatre or um, the Royal Shakespeare Company and watch productions. And I think that's what attracted me the most to going to a drama school to train because I knew I needed that classical training background. I needed to know how to perform Shakespeare and, and, and to have that confidence to to read classical works because it's hard enough just to read them and know what's going on, let alone perform them and bring them to life. So um, yes, rather offering that huge part of um, the curriculum as, as the classical training was so wonderful and completely, I think for an, uh, an actor, especially if you want to be a stage actor, I think it's so, so, so important um, because you're really delving into text in a way um, that you don't really get to, I suppose, in television writing. It's, it's such a different medium altogether. Looking at a, a Shakespearean monologue versus, you know, something for screen, it couldn't be more further mm. from each other. And it's just a completely different skill set of acting, really. So delving into that text and analysing what's going on, but from the perspective of this classical writing where it's in a mode of speaking that we just don't use these days but yet at the same time you want to connect to it you want to be empathetic to it and you want the audience to know what you're saying you want them to uh, be as much a part of the story as, as as you are you want them to see it the way you see it so that was always great taking those words off of the page learning what every single word means and then trying to almost translate it through your acting into a kind of modern way of looking at it even though you're still speaking in a classical way um, whether it be Shakespearean or Jacobean or a restoration comedy, whatever it could be, it's so amazing to watch an actor completely relate that back to the audience. Even if the audience doesn't quite understand what you're saying, they get, they do get the emotional drive and they do get the story because of the way you're lifting the words off the page. And I always just found that fascinating. And I remember studying Shakespeare when I was a bit younger and then going to watch a show at the Globe. I remember reading the play myself and being like, oh, I don't know what's going on. And then I watched it and I went, whoa, I completely understand what's happening here because of the way the actors brought it to life. Mm. Um, so, so I'd say um, going, having phenomenal classical training was just such an incredible way of them being able to delve into any character because then when it just does come to television, um, writing you've done so much extensive work with the classical training that the television writing is like okay wow and, and I look at it in the same way and analyze the text and think how am I going to bring this to life but because I've done it for such an extreme you know part of acting in terms of with the classical work it almost becomes not easy but but it's a very comfortable place to be in to try and analyze the text and analyze oh, the yeah. text. so I think having classical training was a phenomenal way of of being able to get your teeth into text and not be scared of whatever the the story is or whatever, however the writing is. Yeah, it just gives you a real sense of um, comfort and confidence. Yeah. And actually to, to learn and grow up on kind of classical writing and particularly Shakespeare as well, it gives you a deeper understanding of not only the English language, but just how theatre has derived and, and grown over literally hundreds of years, you have a real understanding of kind of, you know, for, you look at a Shakespeare, Shakespeare production with five acts and you look at the narratives and how these stories intertwine. And it's just, it's a real art. And to think that that happened 400 years ago is incredible. Oh, awesome. Awesome. <laughs> how much do you miss live theatre? I mean, I am oh, chomping at the bit, literally, to go see. In fact, I've just booked to go see something. 
Oh, really? What are you about to see? I am going to watch Everybody's Talking About Jamie. Because oh, I have not seen no. it yet. Because I went to the Olivier's like two years ago and I saw like the, I think the opening number of it or something. And it was just like, I, have to, I still haven't seen it. I was like, I need to go see it. So, Oh, Louis, that's incredible. I think you're going to absolutely love it. I remember mm. watching it um, would have been a couple of years ago now. Um, and I don't know about you, but I love RuPaul's Drag Race. And they had Michelle Visage. Classic. Of the teacher. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have got to see this. Um, and it was just such an incredible play. And the actors in it are unbelievable. The singing, the dancing, and also just the theme, what, what, it, what's, what it's about, what it represents is just absolutely unbelievable such an incredible story to watch so i think you're gonna love it i'm very excited and also because i'm talking to you i'm just going to speak my thoughts now literally yeah. every time <laughs> i say your name i just want to go eliza eliza Hamilton. <laughs> yes i'm going to show you after this podcast i have said it on this podcast again already but my dog is called hamilton oh my gosh louis that's incredible <laughs> i'm such a wetty I love that. You're such a, a theater nerd. I love that. It's gorgeous. It's embarrassing, but also so classic. <laughs> um, now, what is coming up for you then? So we've, we've wrapped this end of June. We've still got then six months of 2021 to come. What can we expect from you? Can we hope to see you in some theater at some point? Well, that is actually such a good point, Louis, because um, I actually booked my first professional theater job this week. Yay! Yay! I'm so excited because obviously I left RADA in 2014 and I got The Last Kingdom literally that winter. And I've been doing this and other sort of television pr- productions. And, and I've, I've delved into like bits and bobs of Shakespeare. Um, you know, I used to do stuff at the Globe. I used to do their like um, sort of festivals, like like one or two dates or things that were theatrical. But this is my first ever for seven years, like professional theatre gig. And I don't know how much I'm allowed to say about it at this particular point. Um, so I might not say anything further than that, but hopefully. No, um, that's fine. Overhead, um, and then I'll be in a theatre production this winter, which will be absolutely awesome this autumn and winter. Um, but How another exciting. Thing, thank you so much, Lou. It's, it's so, so wonderful. Um, and I, I can't wait to sort of um, use those skills again and really apply those, that, that completely different form of acting um, to, to this new piece. So that'll be so awesome. Um, but I'm also really lucky to say that um, I filmed a, a wonderful television production called The North Water last year. Mm. My fellow uh, Last Kingdom castmate, Mark Rowley, who plays Finnan on The Last Kingdom, we were both in um, this production called The North Water together. In fact, we're acting alongside each other. So fans of The Last Kingdom are going to be like, whoa, because we are nothing <laughs> like Finnan and Ellsworth. We are completely different. Um, and yeah, it's called The North Water and it's starring Colin Farrell, uh, Stephen Graham and Jack O'Connell and they are absolutely extraordinary and I was uh, very lucky that I got to work with Colin Farrell and be in a, a few scenes with him so that is coming out I believe uh, this September uh, on the BBC so so that'll be sort of the next thing that anyone can watch me in, and I'm so excited about that. I'm very excited for that. I mean, from everything that I've read about that, that's really exciting. Now, I have really enjoyed this chat, but there is one final question I ask all of my guests. What does the word headstrong mean to you? I love this question. So I've been thinking about that. And um, I believe that headstrong for me is about taking up your space and really sort of learning um, the things that make you happy, but also... um, ways that you can sort of assert yourself and and ways that you can see your own power and your own strengths and I think sort of now at the age that I am at 27 and and really growing up and 
you know, becoming a woman in so many ways. I've been thinking about strength and I think to be headstrong is to really know yourself. And so for me, the journey I'm on at the moment is just to really find my assertive powers and, and um, my responsibilities and to really learn what makes me happy and allow people to see the full version of myself, whether that be positive or negative, um, and really own those things. So I guess it's, yeah, about owning your space. Um, and I think the more sort of strong you are in, in, in that, uh, you allow others to really see you. Um, and I just think that's a really lovely avenue to, to guide yourself on in terms of um, who you want to become and, and to feel comfortable in your own skin. That's really nice. I really like that. Thank you, Louis. Um, thank you so much for joining me on this. I've really, really enjoyed having a chat to you, learning a lot more about you as well. It's been really lovely. Um, fingers crossed for the theatre. That's des- I desperately would love. I will definitely pop along oh, uh, and come and watch totally. But no, I've, I've loved this. Thank you so much for coming on, uh, and I wish you all the best for the rest of the shoot. Thank you so much. You're fantastic. Thank you, Louis. It's great to have teamed up with The Good Level, a British CBD company who share a similar ethos to that of Headstrong. The Good Level co-founders, Joe and Johnny, believe in CBD as it's helped them and their families with their physical and mental well-being. Whether that's using their balms to recover from physical exercise or using their oils to manage stress and anxiety or to get a better night's sleep, The Good Level has well-being at the very center of their brand. As we've partnered up with them for this season, you can get a 15% discount off all their orders using Headstrong15 at checkout. And if you're not sure about CBD yet, no worries. Joe and Johnny are always happy to chat and answer all your questions. You can contact them via their website or check out their Instagram at the.good.level. And that's Headstrong15 at checkout. And so episode three of season six has ended. A massive thank you to Eliza Butterworth for joining me. I really enjoyed it. I know I say that on every episode, but Eliza is a really, really wonderful and down-to-earth individual with some really great experiences and sound advice. So for all those young actors that have listened to this episode, I really hope you found that useful and insightful. In fact, if you are a young actor, you will definitely enjoy next week's episode who also brings some hilarious tales and maybe some advice on what not to do when it comes to drama school. Until then, though, if you have enjoyed the podcast, please rate, subscribe, leave a review and send it off to your family and friends. It really does help. Have a wonderful week and thank you for listening to Headstrong. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health 
Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer. After for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.